Right, welcome everybody. It's another episode of the Compulsive Podcast or video if you're watching the video. I have another special guest today with a very interesting uh, topic that I know very little about. So this is going to be a great learning experience for me as, as well as everybody else. I'd like to welcome Joel Kin to the show and uh, I'm going to let Joel introduce himself. And Joel, if you'd like to introduce yourself, let the folks know all about you. Hi, yeah, it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, Joel Kin, pronouns are he and him. Um, I've been doing software engineering on Apple platforms um, for something like 15 years, maybe longer, the math is hard. Um, so I actually started my career working at Apple, uh, working on the Windows server before there was an iPhone. Um, I was there when the iPhone was launched, which was a great springboard for me, so to speak. And ever since I've been doing iPhone development, first a little bit at Apple and then bouncing through a series of startups and kind of moving in the direction of um, both technical expertise and also finding things that are worthwhile for the world to do with my um, programming uh, development skills. Fantastic. Now, before we go into it, I'm not going to ask you why we can't have multiple overlapping windows on the iPhone. We, will, we won't go there. <laughs> but if you time, want to tell us... <laughs> Fantastic. What an interesting project. And, and and let's just talk about that just very quickly. It must have been fascinating to to have been there when, you know, arguably one of the most revolutionary devices of recent times, right? Talk about a, a total shakeup. I mean, it must have been just fantastic to be there and, and just absorb the atmosphere. Don't we won't ask you to go into details because we don't want to I don't want to get my developer account banned and I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> but um I'm sure it must have been a just a fantastic time, right? I mean, well it's it was it was two things. First of all, I had no idea what was going on for the vast majority of it, right? Because it was very secret, very locked down, and I was working in offices next to people who were working on the iPhone and oh. I just knew that their doors were closed. But <laughs> once it was announced and um it was evident that there was going to need to be an SDK because the web-based suite solution wasn't going to be sufficient. That's when I got involved. And so I was working against these um, APIs that were like very rough, very unbaked, unpolished, and like trying to figure out how to do essentially the same work that um, like jailbreakers were doing at the time, mm -hmm. building against like a not quite finished SDK, but then also turning it into sample code that um, like outside legitimate developers would be able to use once the SDK was open. Interesting. That, that, that is was extremely intense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, so now, you know, sort of as you moved on to another role, you're sort of getting to use and take advantage of, you know, from the flip side, some of the things, I guess, that you, you worked on originally. So that, that must be nice. And uh, take some of the pressure off too, right? It's like, great, don't, <laughs> you know, don't have to do any uh, any new things for, you know, those mythical devices that none of us know about yet. But it must be weird to work in an office where you hear lots of shouts and whoops and screams from next door. And you're like, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> so that's fascinating. Absolutely. But, but uh, we won't push you any further on it. But but I'm I'm kind of jealous and I'm sure so many people are. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry, I guess you didn't get a, an office in the spaceship, right? You know, but maybe they kept a, kept one for you. <laughs> I'm sure there's All a right. plaque on a wall somewhere. Yeah, that's it. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe, you know, like, let you keep the key to the secret office, right? <laughs> when that spaceship takes off one day, I just hope that we all get invites. That's all I'm hoping for. <laughs> all right. Let's, uh, let's jump on here. So I'm um, going to talk about a, a library that you've worked on here that is uh, fascinating to me, and and I'm hoping I'm going to pronounce this right because I've been practicing. 
Uh, but we can blame the braces and the English Texas accent if it doesn't work out. But I, if I pronounce it uh, Quirrell, is that, or, or Quirrell, is that close enough? You know what I just realized is I've never said it out loud. I've oh. been talking about like this GraphQL library. So I, in my <laughs> head, it's Quirrell, like the back half of Squirrel. But okay. um, you know, your guess is as good as mine, honestly. There is no known like official pronunciation. Oh, so so this is a, a world first right here, right? Absolutely. Yeah, this is <laughs> and, exclusive for you. See, and I can do that because people always make fun of the way, like, you know, the English say squirrel, right? So I can just say squirrel and, and I'm good. For once yep. in my life, I'm actually nailing it. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. So so yeah, this library is is um something that, you know, when you brought it to my attention, I was fascinated by because so it, it deals with, you know, uh, GraphQL, and I have only used GraphQL in the sense of, I think, probably what a lot of people know it for, things like static site generators for the web and, and sort of that data side. So I've only been exposed to that part of it. But I also fully appreciate how much how easy I think it is to to sort of think in those terms rather than you know, these big SQL statements and all of those other kind of backend systems. So when you came to me with this one and, and being Swift based, you know, I, I suddenly was like, okay, I'm very interested in this. So, you know, tell us, tell us a little bit about this. How did this come to be a, a project that you thought, oh, this, this is something we should do and, and put out there for folks? Yeah. Um, well, it was not initially like an idea from my own mind, I have to say. So what happened was at my workplace, I work at Handshake, um, which is a company that I won't do a whole pitch, but like we, we do iPhone stuff. So there's some technology there. Um, there was a, uh, a kind of initiative among the engineering organization to move our entire REST code base, um, like API service over to GraphQL. Um, and the reasoning for this, it was actually more a thing for the back end than for the clients. This would, you know, make the lives easier for the API developers in some ways that don't really matter to me as an iPhone developer. Um, but if this is something that the organization, organization wants to do, then okay, great, we can do it. Um, so as a, a, I guess a tech leader on the iPhone side at my company, it kind of fell to me to determine what it would take to get us there. To be able to like support this changeover, so I started doing research on um, both on you know what GraphQL is because this was going to be the first time I had used it, but also like what the state of the art was in um, iOS libraries, Swift libraries to use GraphQL. Um, and so in the course of my research, I found that really there was one dominant player, like head and shoulders dominant, and that's Apollo, um, which I think everyone who's worked in GraphQL has heard of. Um, it's not just a library, it's also a company. They've got like the full suite. We actually, we use Apollo on the back end on our API side. And so the Apollo client would be the part that kind of receives those APIs and like turns them into models and all of that. So the Apollo client is great. It's very full featured. Um, it was not a great match for our code base because our app is already very mature. Um, it's been around for something like six years. It does many of the things that Apollo does already. So like Apollo does its own networking. It does um, modeling. It does decoding. And we sort of have layers for all of that stuff already. So if we were to switch over to Apollo, we would have had to figure out what to do with a bunch of our existing stuff. And so it would have been 
a very significant code base rewrite that we weren't really looking to do just to support a new API style. And like I say, just there, you know, measurably, um, but ideally we could do less than like tearing up the whole thing. Um, and yeah. so looking at, you know, what else there was out there, um, there were a couple of Objective-C based libraries. There were some um, not very well supported Swift libraries, but there wasn't really that much else out there. And there especially wasn't anything that was as narrowly focused as what I ideally would have wanted. You know, really what I want is something that I can say, all right, every layer of my app is going to be the same, except for this one networking piece where I'm going to say REST or GraphQL but then everything else is going to not care about that distinction. So given the lack of that, um, of that like hypothetical library, and also given how kind of relatively small the need was, it did seem like it was an approachable thing for just for us to, to just build it, to do our own and, you know, kind of see how far we could get. And so I just started on kind of a proof of concept project to do that, um, you know, dug more into how GraphQL works and, uh, it turns out it's it's pretty simple on the client side because it is so complex on the server side. So on the client side, you're just putting together a post request um, and you put some like special formatted data in there. That's the, the QL, the query language um, goes into your post. Um, and then sort of you get JSON back and you parse it as you would JSON from any other style of endpoint. So really not that big a deal, it turns out. Um, and it seemed like it could work for us. So we sort of pursued it and we went down this path kind of every step expecting, okay, well, we're going to run into something that we're not going to be able to do. And so this will be the point when we have to turn around and like, you know, go to Apollo and Hey, we did some experimentation and it was fun and it didn't work out, but you know, it kept on working out. And so we got to the point where it was doing everything we needed it to do. Um, we've actually been shipping this library in our app for, uh, a year now, maybe a little bit longer than a year, and it's been okay. holding up fine. So at that point, it seemed like, all right, well, we've made something that is probably pretty useful here. It's certainly useful for us. It does exactly what we need. It's possible this could be universally useful, or at least useful for more than just our particular application, because it is pretty generic. Um, so it seemed like a good opportunity to um, give something back to the community. You know, we use open source code, as does, I think, probably every project in the world at this point. Um, but we hadn't um, contributed anything from the mobile side or from the iOS side of our engineering organization. So um, we figured, you know, why not? Let's give it a try. Um, let's see if this is going to be useful to anybody else. And here we are, fingers crossed that maybe it will be. Yeah. And first of all, let, let me start by saying uh, on behalf of everybody, you know, again, thank you for open sourcing this. It is always so nice to see so many folks, you know, giving back to the communities. Like you say, I think at this point we all use somewhere in our process, some open source. And so any opportunity to sort of give back and contribute to that pool is, uh, you know, I think, you know, I've said in other episodes and that that I think it's almost kind of one of those, not a requirement, but I think it's the right thing to do to, to try yeah. and contribute where you can. So thank you so much for doing that. And, you know, also in, a, in the context of a company as well, thank you for doing that, because sometimes there's always those, those difficult areas, right, of mm, do we open source this? Does it feel like we've done something proprietary and we shouldn't and things like that? So I know that's always a very difficult balance. So so thank you for doing that. 
And and you're quite right. But as I was looking at this and experimenting with it, the first thing I, I appreciated was, and, and you and I spoke about this uh, before recording, was how nice it was to not have something that had everything in the kitchen sink because it just didn't need that. It it does its task and is beautifully readable, very straightforward, I think, once you get the hang of it. And I also like something that you have in there, um, and, and you mention it, you know, on the, the GitHub page, and, and for everybody, of course, we will put links in the show notes, uh, but how you were saying about, you know, it, don't think of it as a like a query builder. That's not what this is. You you build your queries and then you use those, uh, you know, bring those in and, and use them here. And that's nice as well, because it doesn't you're not cramming in a whole bunch of code into your project that you have to maintain and everything else. You're, you're just giving it what it needs. And so it's it's nice and refreshing to see that in libraries where they don't feel like, hey, we don't have to give you everything. Just use this as part of your tool set, right? I want to tell you about DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a hosting company that I use for a lot of my projects. And I'm going to tell you, rather than just the usual thing that you hear on adverts, I'm going to tell you exactly how I use it. It is so simple to set up. You just log in and I can set up very quickly with a few clicks, whatever kind of instance I need on a server with whatever OS or pre-installed apps. I'm going to give you a perfect example here. It is so easy to set up Swift on the server-side Vapor. And I did that recently and it, it was painless. You know, I went in there and I set it up. And before you knew it, my Swift app, I was bouncing off the APIs that I had created on the server side and testing everything that I needed to be tested. But you don't have to use it for projects just like that. You can really use it to host anything you want for any length of time because you're really only paying for the resources as you use them. You're not paying ahead. And they have 14 globally distributed data centers and 99.99% uptime I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can go to peterweedham.com forward slash D-O-C-E-A-N. That's D-O-C-E-A-N. And that'll give you some free credits to get started with. Break time over. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the whole philosophy of like just slotting into the layer cake that you already have. Um, one more note about making it open source, yeah. because I continue to find this amusing, is that sure. um, our company, Handshake, had open source code in the past, but um, we've been growing and like developing more process as a growing company does. And we did not actually have a process in place for open sourcing code anymore, like at the scale at which we were. So in order to get this done, I had to develop that process, well, help develop that process with some of the leadership in my company, which was a whole other thing. So I was hoping to have this thing um, open sourced almost a year ago, well, I guess six months ago at this point is when I said it would get done. And then I had to go through so much time spent, um, you know, with like, with lawyers, developing documents, developing a plan for all of this stuff. Um, so I'm really excited to have finally been able to get it out. And it just is amazing to me that it took so long, so long <laughs> past my initial estimate. I was just way, way off. I really underestimated what this would look like at a real company. Well, and, and thank you for adding that because, you know, I think that that is something that we don't, you know, I'm always looking for those conversations that we don't necessarily always have as developers and in the development community. And that is that is a perfect example right there, right? As developers, we, you know, we make something and 
we want to share it with folks and you know um you then you realize there's that second part of the project which is i've made the thing and i want to give it to folks but now i got to go speak to all the other areas in a company or you know my my a lawyer or whatever it may be because software being you know as huge as it is these days and 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 practically i mean i think it's fair to say driving nearly everything we use at this point from a you know a device standpoint and you very quickly realize that you do have to have these conversations and plan these these aspects the legal side and any complications there because it's not something we immediately think about but making those decisions now can have repercussions in the future right so you know for example what if you open source something then later on you want to pull it back it's not a case mm -hmm. of just removing the repository anymore right you'll be holding to licenses that you have there and you know, not that I, that's kind of the area I guess that scares me a little is if I spent all the time I, I would need to, to understand all the licensing, I probably wouldn't have any time left to make anything. And so and that I is much why prefer, we have lawyers, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. That's where you're like, that's what those other people are for and, and let them <laughs> deal with it, you know, and just trust that they'll make the right decisions and, and sort of go from it from there. So thank you so much for mentioning that because I don't think, a lot of folks think about that. And I, I, I'm sure we've both been there, right? We, we know folks who come to us with projects or something and they're like, hey, I got this new thing. It's going to change the world. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, you too, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then you, you, you know too, it's like, yeah, I bet you didn't think about the legal side because what if you do have something that changes the world, <laughs> you know? So thank you so much for bringing that up. And, you know, so that's, that sort of leads into one of the next questions I had. Uh, which was any um, any hurdles, complications, or things that you didn't expect as you were, you know, building out this library and and approaching that. Obviously, as you've mentioned, you know, the big one there is is the you know the licensing and, and open sourcing side. But did you encounter anything that you found was wow that that was so much easier than I thought it was going to be, or you know, ended up being more of a struggle? than first anticipated because I know sometimes when you're trying to simplify something which you know nine times out of ten is a driver for a project right a library or something like that is to simplify and abstract the problem did you have anything like that that you know sort of went either way sort of moved you through mm -hmm. the process or, or any other brick walls yeah yeah both of those so I would say the the thing that was really kind of the biggest I wouldn't say blocker, but hurdle at least, was just kind of conceptualizing what the model ought to be. You know, I think it's, it, at least for me, it wasn't initially obvious that like the query itself should be like the, the fundamental object here. And then kind of the uh, library is built around manipulating queries. Um, so I guess for those who haven't used it, um, essentially what it is, is the query is like a structure that adheres to some protocols, but the query kind of represents a serializable version of what you send up and get back from the GraphQL server. Um, so I think once I had like gotten that notion, made that connection, everything was sort of 
easier than expected because, as I said earlier, the implementation of a GraphQL client is really not all that complicated. It's just putting together some uh, URL requests. But the that notion is not obvious. And like, there's, I guess, a bunch of different ways you could approach it. You could think about, um, all right, are we generating like that query language on disk or in memory? And so that's going to be kind of the fundamental building block. Or is the building block going to be, in fact, like the network connection itself? And then sort of we build things around that. Um, so it did take some some sketching out on paper, you know, some noodling around, some trying different approaches before I landed on this being kind of, all right, the fundamental unit is the query itself and sort of everything else is kind of subservient to that. But then, yeah, once I had gotten to that point, it, it was just a matter of, you know, putting together some network requests, um, making sure that like serialization was plugged in the right way. And honestly, the next most complicated thing was just um, dealing with uh, generics appropriately, dealing with protocols appropriately, so that this would be extensible to, well, first all of the models and sort of the queries that we use in our application, but then ideally to whatever else other people outside of Handshake want to use it for too. Yeah, interesting. And uh, because, you know, that that's a whole other factor there is when you're building something, you know, first of all, uh, I, I always say that, you know, anything, the, the best things you build are going to be the ones that you use yourself and, and tend to come about and come to life that way. But then there is that switching point of, okay, this is working for us. It does everything we need in the way that we need to do it. And then when you decide to say, okay, and we think this is good for other folks to use, you then have to sort of switch to another mode and say, okay, what what do we need to do to make that usable for someone? Because, you know, it's kind of like inventing the first car, right? You know how it works. You, you made it, you built it, you know the quirks. But then how do you describe that to someone else and make it generic enough that they can then take that and sort of, you know, manipulate it into the form that they need it to be? And not only from the perspective of writing the code, integrating the library, but obviously also the documentation as well, right? Is the documentation something that other folks can take and use and understand? Or does it feel a little bit too specific to our needs? And, you know, that's... Documentation is always that difficult kind of developer thing, right? You know, we always do kind of just that, just enough documentation for something to get it working. But then when you're throwing it out there for other people to use you have to go so much further. And I think that that's when things, you know, it's like, like that last 10% of the project where it's like, ah, okay, gonna have to put some side, put a time some side, maybe a few folks. And, um, you know, did you have like, did you sort of do it and put it out there? Or did you give it to a few folks who knew nothing about this and, and said, hey, see if you can use this and then learn from that? Because I think that's always an interesting thing tends to be a lot of folks just put things out there and then see what happens. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong at all, but sometimes that initial feedback can very much steer you in a different direction, right? Once you put that source out there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really great question. So, and the answer is something in between um, because, you know, again, I was not um, creating this purely for my use, even at the outset, right? It was for okay. all yeah. of the other mobile engineers at my yeah. company, which is, you know, um, 10 or so people. So that's um, a lot of opinions right there. 
on how things ought to be and how they ought to be better than they are. So it wasn't exactly like, all right, I'm, I'm putting it out in the universe and we'll see what happens. But it also wasn't exactly like, all right, I'm going to be holding your hand like one other developer as we walk through this and see how it works. Um, so I did get a lot of useful feedback about um, how like the ergonomics of the API and how it could be improved just in the course of people actually using this. Um, so again, this came from like a real concrete need that we were facing at an actual point in time. It was not at all hypothetical. This was something that we needed to do. So as soon as this thing was working even a little bit, we were starting to use it to build against backend APIs. Um, and so, you know, we were generating queries, we were generating models that we're using in the product immediately. So that was not just me, that was other people across the product and different, you know, working in different features and different areas. Um, so that was um, really useful to see what like PRs other people were putting up using it um, in order to kind of fine tune, all right, well, like how should models be generated? Um, what is like, uh, you know, common extensions that people are having to write because there's something that's missing here that should be there. Um, so yeah, it was incredibly useful just to see like how the people around me were making use of it. And that really, I think, helped fine tune it um, for putting out in the world. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, there's. I think personally, I find it so much more beneficial to work with other developers, you know, as a, as a team. Um, I find that not only, you know, do I learn the most, but it also makes me question things that I'm doing that I have always, you know, we develop those patterns, right? And you just do something a particular way for years and years and years. And it's not until someone else says, have you thought about doing it this way? Or, you know, even that question of why are you doing it that way? And then that suddenly, for me at least, becomes that moment of greatest learning, right? Because it's like, well, I, I just do. But why do I do it that way? And you start questioning yourself in a good way. So um, that, you know, that's why I love working with with groups of developers and teams and, and things like mm -hmm. that. And especially folks who know nothing about, you know, whether it's a technical thing or just using a product in general or something like that, because I, I feel like those are the folks that I learn the most from about the products we're building, because we're you know, as the folks that make them and care about them and love working on these things, you're too close to it to be objective, however hard you try. And and so that, you know, it's always good to hear when it's like, yep, other people have been using this. I love the idea, too, of learning from those pull requests. I'd never really thought about it that way. So, you know, thank you for putting that out there. That that gives me a whole new way to, to think about this rather than just someone pulled something, they did this and put it back in. But to look at it and say, yeah, why are they doing that? What's what's good about this? You know, so I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'd never thought about seeing pull requests that way. So thank you. Yeah. As a senior engineer at this company, and also I've been at this company for a while, there's I have to like kind of work a little bit to find the learning opportunities, you know, so it is going to be from like the questions people are asking or the pull requests they open or like um, the the areas where people are looking for, you know, mentorship or guidance or whatever, those are kind of by definition, the rough edges mm -hmm. in, you know, whether that's our, our process or our technical capabilities or our code base or whatever it may be, the things that people need help with are the things where there's room for improvement. So it's never going to be, or it's, it's rarely going to be an explicit, like, 
learning opportunity of, hey, here is a new API, go and figure it out. It's going to be like, hey, here's what the people around you are working on and here's what they're having trouble with. And like, how can you turn that into something like actionable and um, impactful that's going to improve their experience? Those are the things that I have to be looking for. And so that actually served me in good stead working on this project because it's really kind of the same notion, um, whether it's the people around you or the people out in the internet, right? It's like kind of picking up on the clues rather than an explicit, hey, I need this thing to do X and it does Y. Um, we've had some other folks on on the podcast and that who are in mentorship programs and they they mentor people and I just think it's fantastic. I, I love that so many people are always looking to help other folks because um, I think it's something that's not necessarily discussed as much as it should be and you know it's important to recognize that we're all in this together. We're all going to be at different levels, know different things bring different things to the table, which ultimately makes all of these products and, and libraries and everything else we work on, and even just us as developers, makes us better, right? As long as we're open to that idea of, I may not have the right thing, right? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm always glad to hear folks who, who love mentoring and even just, you know, like that thing of, let's sit and talk for 10 minutes about something, right? Even if it's something yeah. we're not working on, you know? Um, but I, I always love to push the people to, you know, like, you want to do that? Great. Go for it. You know? Yeah. Well, the thing is like, we're humans, right? And humans are social animals, much as software developers might not like to admit that <laughs> at times. And so yeah. We really do work well in conjunction with each other. And we do all have something to give back to each other, you know, like regardless of level or tenure. Um, and it's, it would be foolish to not take advantage of that, you know, like anything you can do that's going to help you do better at your job, make a better product, you probably should take advantage of it. All right, let's move on to talking about how we use this library. So um, firstly, you know, I always, I always recommend to folks, go go pull the library from, from GitHub, try it. Um, you know, in this day and age, Technologies move so quickly that you may have, you may be listening and thinking, well, I'm not going to do any GraphQL stuff, um, but you may be tomorrow because that's the way it goes. And and so it's always good to, to go and try these things out. So if you could, and if you don't mind, just sort of walk us through how we would, you know, just set this up and and sort of get this working in our application with the, with an assumption here that I have a GraphQL data source somewhere. Right. Because mm -hmm. without that, you know, you're not, you're not going to get very far. But could you just sort of walk us through? Because I, I think people will be surprised how how nice and straightforward you've made this to get get working with it. Yeah. Um, so if you, in fact, don't have your own data source, that's fine, because there's a sample application um, in the library. Um, that uh, talks to two different uh, GraphQL data sources, one for Star Wars movies and one for uh, countries, I believe, where you can get the flags of a country. Yep. Um, so to put it together, it's, it's really simple. Um, there's actually in the readme, there's, I think, the smallest possible example of like what a... Uh, a program using this library could look like. I need to start using the name of it. Oprah, what a program using Quarrel could look like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's about 10 lines um, where the, the first five lines are defining your query structure, which is kind of 
what you expect to get back from the server. So in this case, if we're talking about like the uh, the country's API, what you expect to get back from the server is you know like a country model, and what you send to the server is a country code. Um, so yeah. like you know you would send up uh, U.S. and you would get back United States of America with a f- emoji for the flag and all that stuff. Um, and then the other half of the sample code is essentially just creating a network request um, and sending that query as part of it. So really, it's um, it's it's hard for me to overstate how simple this is. Um, at the at the risk of sounding like a late night televangelist or something, it is uh, you you kind of just make this model, um, and then there is kind of a uh, an extension on URL request that will allow you to you know create that as the body of the request, and then you send it up and you get it back and it automatically decodes itself and then you just pull out from that query the model you were expecting. Um, so I definitely just spent more time telling you what's in this code than it takes to read through it or like <laughs> copy and paste it into a playground. Um, but I would I would suggest the easiest way to get used to it is just to run those uh, sample projects, run through the sample code and kind of just mess around with kind of the responses that you get, the queries you can send up. Um, because there's, there's a lot that's there, even in those uh, demo APIs and the sample code is just kind of scratching the surface. Yeah. Yeah, and and I've got it on the screen here, and I I sort of you know I've worked through it and and messed around with it, broken it a few times too, but it was my fault. Great. Don't worry, it was my fault for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know the the first part of it is definitely something that anyone who's going to use it um, should be familiar with, right? So we have this GraphQL file, which is you know to me at least looks like your standard GraphQL query, so. Um, just business as usual there. And then, like you say, you know, as I'm looking at like the, the, the main.swift file here, um, very, very little code to get this working. And that I think is important and, and shouldn't be, you know, um, we should focus on that and, and let folks realize, you know, you're talking about bringing your data in here and getting that model working where you want as little code as possible, right? You you don't want to complicate it because you may have to switch it out in the future. And, uh, you know, once you see these this code, it's very readable. That's the other thing too, is, oh, if I had got to switch out to another, you know, GraphQL data source tomorrow, great. I, I can see exactly how that's going to work. And I'm I'm on familiar territory. And along with, as you mentioned, you know, working with your existing network stack, whatever that may look like, is important. You're not asking anyone to to rework or rewrite anything they've done. If this is really just an addition that takes it, says, you know, basically, hey, I got this. I can I can translate this data for you, and then you go about the business of using that data any way you want. And and I mean, it really is. It, like you say, if you look at the the sample code in the project, um, once you sort of if you ignore the 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 URL requests and you know the network stack there's very little left that you would you would sort of say is the core part that you're going to use here and and like you say with the country codes and um sorry flags and and everything else once you look at it it just makes sense and you can just read it and then you know regardless of how your application is built you can then just distribute or access that data any way you would normally do it without having to, 
you know, put anything in the middle. I mean, yes, you could, I, I guess, like everything, you could complicate it if you wanted to, but why would you want to do that? Right. You know, right. Um, you know, so yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think that, you know, folks should do what I, I did, which is pull it down, play with the, the samples in there, understand it. And then, um, you know, next step, start using it with your own data sources and and realizing the the value that you can use them there and it's it's just so you know very straightforward i know that you know you've got in there too you've you can do it via cocoa pods you can bring it in by swift package manager because I, I know these days certainly people always say to me oh is there a swift you know an spm version it's like yeah yeah you, you've got both here you know yeah. um and then presumably as well uh do, do you accept uh, pull requests from anybody who wants to, you know, work on, on this or expand it or, or anything like that. Is yeah, it open yeah. to pull requests? Oh, I would love contributions. That would be wonderful. I mean, Great. like, you know, I, I want this to be a living project, right? Yeah. I want people to actually find this of use in their own work. And if that's going to happen, it means that things are going to have to change as they find, you know, their own pain points mm -hmm. and their own sharp edges. So I would love to see people using it and that means contributing to it in my mind. Um, so yeah. by all means, like send in your PRs. Yeah, and and I'm looking at, you know, it's, it's always funny to me. I'm looking at it here just to make folks feel comfortable. Uh, I'm looking at the stats here and on the languages, it's 90.7% Swift and 9.3% Ruby. So if you're a Swift developer, you should feel very at home with this. <laughs> so don't I think be afraid. Ruby is just yeah. like a, a CocoaPod file that, or something. There's yeah, nothing you need yeah. to worry about. Yeah, you don't have to. And that, that's always the funny part to me is like when I put my own, uh, push my own repos up and it analyzes them, I'm like, I don't remember writing any Ruby. And then you, <laughs> like you say, it's like, oh yeah, it, that's my, I sort of call it my standard like 9% Cocoa Pods didn't do it. Fine, I'll take yeah. that 9% win. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> so I know what exactly. you mean. Yeah. All right. Uh, Fantastic. Any future plans that you have for the library here? Or do you feel that it's matured to the point of, um, you know, it's more of a, I don't, I don't want to use the word maintenance, making it sound like, mm. you know, oh, we're just going to maintain it. There won't be anything new. But do you have anything new in the works, any new ideas that you're thinking of bringing to it? Or are you allowing yeah. it to sort of just grow naturally as is needed? Well, I mean, I, I do very much want to see what people do with it out in the world. That's not just like happy talk. I'm, I'm excited to see where people take it. The next thing that I see as needed is um, just like some technical stuff. Um, right now, it doesn't support uh, GraphQL queries that have multiple top level responses. Um, so or rather okay. objects at the top level in the response. Um, and the reason is because this feature set has been purely driven by our API at my company, mm -hmm. and that's just not something that we have. But I know it's something that's out there in the world. So, you know, in in an effort to support everything that GraphQL can actually provide, we probably ought to have that. Um, but obviously, like, there's a little bit less incentive for me personally to work on stuff that I don't need in my day job. Um, so that's sure. going to be yeah. probably a little bit slower coming than the stuff that's already there. That's interesting because, you know, as you mentioned it, and I think I remember reading it in there, and I thought to myself, have I, I at least in the the way I've used them in the past, I don't think I've ever had any top level, you know, multiple objects. But then I think 
that's probably because of my own limited understanding and being a little bit scared of breaking my own <laughs> work. Um, so yeah, I, I know, like you said, I know they're out there, but I know, um, this works for me because I purposefully try not to go that route. Like I say, yeah. just because it's like, Peter, you got it working. Don't, don't touch it again, buddy. Yeah. Just leave it alone. <laughs> and so that's, so that's kind of how it. I've approached it. I, I think that that's um, common, perhaps pervasive. Um, so my impression is that, you know, I've worked on GraphQL at exactly one job, one company, and everybody started it at the same time, essentially. So we didn't have like um, some real GraphQL guru coming in and like showing us the way. We're all kind of learning together. So there has been, I would say, a lot of, if not quite fear, then at least like tentativeness about like, are we doing this the right way? Are we actually supporting all the things we need to support? Are we doing anything that's like kind of weird and crazy and not actually to the standard? Um, I think so far we have done a good job on all that stuff, but we're certainly not making like use of the full power of the GraphQL API. I'm sure that there's more out there that we could theoretically get benefit from that we're just kind of like not equipped for or not ready to take that like next step. Um, so I know some things that this library doesn't support, but I'm sure that there's stuff that people are going to be using who are like just more advanced with GraphQL than me and my organization, where they're going to see some glaring, just like blind spots. And that's the stuff that I really want to find out about because, you know, the things that I don't know that I don't know, that's what's going to be really interesting. That's where the learnings are going to come from. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And hey, community, go go get on that, right? P put some, you know, we want to see a sort of the, the shock face from Joel when he realizes, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Anything else that you want to want to cover here in this? I think I think we've dived pretty good into this. But anything else you want to bring up? Yeah. Um. I mean, we have gone really well into it, and I got to say, the the reason is just because it is so simple. I just want to reiterate, like, GraphQL itself is such a um, fully featured API style, a fully featured uh, query language in and of itself that the client can be so small. It really does not have to do a whole lot. So like that was, if there's one takeaway from this, like that was kind of the mind blowing thing for me here is like, you can get away with such a minimal implementation and just like what's out there in the world kind of does not lead you to believe that. It doesn't, um, it seems like, oh, this is kind of a big heavy thing. It's gonna be a big hairy deal to implement. And then it turns out not really. Um, so it's, it was just an interesting takeaway for me to actually spend some time with the GraphQL specification with the GraphQL API and find out that like, oh, there's not really any great magic here. Like there's, there's no wizard behind the curtain, like making this go. It's kind of just some, some post requests. It's just some networking, um, like we've all done a million times before. It was, it was kind of empowering to figure that out and then be able to build something on top of it. I agree. I I remember vividly the the day that, you know, it just clicked for me. And, you know, I same thing, right? Anytime you go into a new technology, you know, as developers, we always dive in head first, right? And we we're expecting, oh, I'm going to have to read this, then I'm going to have to do that. I better check out that book, that video, that course, mm -hmm. write a whole bunch of code. And I I went in thinking to myself that that's how it was going to be. And, you know, you get to a point where you're like, oh, do I need to take on another technology? And then it was all, all of this, I should, should preface it by saying, was driven for the need 
because my basically my website was just way too slow. And, um, you know, I wanted to get away from a WordPress. Nothing against WordPress. I still use it, still love it. But I recognized th this was not what I needed for this particular project. And so that's how I dived into this. And then I was I was getting ready, getting prepared for it. And then when I started doing it and it got to the moment where it's like, okay, now, now you got to do the GraphQL. And then when I'd spent just a very little time working with it and I realized that it just clicked in my head that I was now thinking the way that it works and the, the beautiful simplicity of of writing the code for that that practically wrote itself. You know, if you just sort yeah. of follow the this common sense approach, I think for the most part, I just walked away thinking, yeah, okay. Well, you know, it's one of those like, why have I not done this before? <laughs> you know, one of those moments. And yeah. and once you find technologies like that, you suddenly realize all these other reasons and all these other ideas that you have. And it's like, I could use it for that as well and, and strip out a whole bunch of code. I, I remember it was when I first started playing with SwiftUI, it was kind of the similar thing. And you realize, oh, I am writing so much less code. And that's how GraphQL yeah. and that felt as well. So, Very yeah, so. no, yeah, I'm, I'm right there analogy. with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, you know, it's worth pointing out to folks as well that this will work any way you want it to work, right? As you said, the, the way this is built is you're not sort of opinionated in the sense of, you know, oh, you should favor this stack for it, um, the front end or on the back end or anywhere else. It really truly does have that feeling of, Put it in wherever you want. It'll just work for you. And once you understand how this works, you'll probably, you know, it's like everything else. You'll be throwing it around like we all know how to write a network request now. And you'll be doing it without even thinking about it at that point exactly. from a very, very small library. Got to be said again, very small library. Super impressive. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for bringing this to everybody's attention. Uh, I, like I say, when you when you reached out to me and mentioned it, I was immediately excited. And I was like, okay, putting some time aside. And I sat with, for one weekend with this. And, you know, it was another one of those like, dang, this is cool. <laughs> you know, so so thank you. Um, anything else yeah. that you, you want to mention here? Uh, no, I've, I've hit all my bullet points. Um, but thanks so much for taking an interest. It's really nice to have a chance to talk about this. Oh, no, thank you so much for coming on and bringing it forward. I love to highlight projects like this because these to me and like this one feels like uh, this is, you know, early days for this project. Once people realize what it can mm -hmm. do for them and start using it, I think it's just going to, you know, it'll become another one of those names that you throw around for projects you know like for example i'll just use like oh alamo fire well yeah everyone knows what that is Pretty right good. and yeah. and this i think for you know uh, quirrell quirrell however we choose to officially brand <laughs> the language um i think it's going to be another one of those I, I i hope that folks check this out they owe it to themselves to check it out and, you know, I certainly have told a whole bunch of people about this. I'm like, oh, you should go check this out. Um, interestingly, too, folks from other platforms who don't necessarily develop iOS applications using you know, Swift or whatever it may be. And I've said to them, hey, you know, because they always sometimes say, oh, you can't really use those technologies on on the Apple platforms. But now mm -hmm. I've been going back and saying, well, actually, take a look at this. You, you absolutely can, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, you know what? It's like, don't don't give us that 
we we got a, we got <laughs> tools. There's a tool for that. Yeah. That's well, thank you. I'd like to tell, I'll put lots of links for everything in the show notes for everybody. But uh, Joel, thank you so much for coming on. Would you like to tell everybody where they can find you? Oh, yeah. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, I just got off Twitter, but I'm on Mastodon (laughs) at uh, foon, F-O-O-N, at mastodon.social. And uh, my contact info is also in the GitHub page for Quora. So uh, you can find some ways to reach me. Yeah, thank you. And and folks... um, you know, if you if you check this out, and again, you should reach out and send Joel a, a thank you. If nothing else, send a thank you and uh, surprise him with some pull requests as well. <laughs> but yeah, Joel, thank, thank you so much for, for being with us today. Uh, really appreciate it. Folks, um, I hope this has been useful to you. I learned a lot. I always learn a lot when I'm speaking with folks like Joel. Greatly appreciate them coming on. Um, if this has been helpful, you know, compile Swift everywhere. Go to compileswift.com and, and reach out. Uh, I'll put everything in the show notes. But if you have any questions or anything like that, reach out to Joel or I'll be happy to pass anything on to him. And and that's pretty much what we got in this episode. So thank you, everybody. And Joel, again, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you.